Vegan Boss Radio, where we will be talking about all things related to business, health, and lifestyle. We connect with passionate vegans from around the world so they can share their stories, challenges, and what it's like to navigate being vegan in a non-vegan world. Welcome to another episode of Vegan Boss Radio. Today, our guest is Kimberly Renee. Kimberly is a self-taught private chef, on-air personality noted for her infectious personality, and the founder of Might Be Vegan. She's also the creator behind the National Free Meats to Beats Challenge, the web series Might Be Vegan Presents the Trap Kitchen, the award-winning National COVID-19 Hunger Relief Program Food Love by Might Might Be Vegan, as well as the world's largest vegan-only tailgate, Vegan at the Game, which served more than 1,500 people at no cost in the city of Atlanta during the Super Bowl. So we're really excited to talk to you today. Um, I know you are involved with a few other projects going on right now, like Food Love and some of your stuff with brand accountability that we're really excited to ask you about. So thanks so much for being here. Awesome. Thank you so much, Shauna and Megan for having me. (laughs) Yeah, it's great to have you here. Um, So we always start out with asking what your vegan story is. Why did you go vegan? When did you go vegan? So I I wish I actually remembered the day that I went vegan so that I could have like a vegan anniversary, but I don't remember the specific day, but I do remember what started me going vegan. And it actually happened during a event, during an event that I was at with a couple of friends. We had gotten together for like a New Year's kind of party where we were going to write down all the things that we were going to do for the next year. And so the way we do this like vision board thing is that we open up magazines and cut out pictures of cool things that was like, I want that. I honestly really didn't take it that seriously, if I'm honest. Um, I was like, okay, let me cut out this really attractive man here. Stick him <laughs> up there. Here's a cool car. You That's know. important too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, here's a big stack of money. Let's add that. So I honestly did not take it very seriously. I even found the word vegan. I don't even know what it was for. And I'm like, sure, let's stick it on the paper. <laughs> like, why not? This is stupid. So I, when we're finished, I go home and I have that piece of paper. I roll it up and I put it in um, a on a shelf uh, inside like a nice little uh, basket of things that I never look at. And I think maybe three months later, I was in the kitchen and I was preparing a Cornish hen. And... It was the first time that when I prepared meat that I actually felt empathy for the being that was in front of me. Mm. And I was like, oh. And then I said, I'm sorry. Like it was the first time that it, uh-huh. that it was no longer just me eating meat. It was me and somebody you know what I mean? Like it was, and this it was, was three real. months after you did. Yeah. The- it was, okay. it was three months after I had done this little random, I don't care. I'm going to, yeah. you know, I'm going to be a millionaire with a, with a football player boyfriend and, <laughs> you know, driving a Mercedes, whatever, you know, I mean, it was just, it, it was flippant for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to have this moment, it was, it was different because I've always been very health conscious. So I knew at some point I was going to continue to improve my diet. I've been doing that since I was 17. Like I stopped eating pork at 
about 17. I stopped eating beef, maybe 21. Um, and so I was mostly doing chicken and fish or fowl and fish. And so I, I was like, okay, well, we'll see what's next. Adding, drinking more water, you know, all the things that we do to take care of our bodies. So this, this was just a surprise for me. But I knew that I had written that down. At, well, I cut it out of the magazine. And it was kind of a laugh at myself and the universe for kind of bringing that back. Um, and so it was that moment that led me to no longer being able to prepare meat at home. Like I could not consciously put something in front of me that used to be alive in the sense that it had a mom, it probably had kids, it probably had friends. You know, I can I can no longer do that. Now, okay, honestly, I still ate it out. If if I if I got hungry and it was no no options that were vegetarian or vegan, I'm like, I'm just gonna eat it out. But it was that moment that I could no longer prepare it. A few months after that, maybe like five or six months into not being able to prepare meat at home, I realized that I was ultimately being a hypocrite. It was like, how are you gonna like you're just passing along the your hypocrisy to someone else you're passing along your the guilt to somebody mm -hmm. else like you they killed him you didn't but you did you know what I mean is that make yeah, sense? No, like I just completely. I was just kind of like passing it to someone else I'm like okay I can't I can't do it I can't do it so um it wasn't I didn't give cheese up right away because I was I was vegetarian for maybe about eight months six to eight months after that um and then I had too much cheese one day and then I saw the impact that it had on my body. And I was like, Oh no, this is not, this is not good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, I, and I didn't even at that moment understand how terrible the dairy industry is and what cows go through. I didn't know any of that. I just knew that this does not belong in my body, maybe a baby mm -hmm. cow body, but it's not for me. So that's kind of how I, I got to, giving up meat, giving up dairy. And then that point forward, I started to educate myself around factory farming and um, the impact that it has on the environment and the all of what that means. And it was like, okay, now I'm, I'm never going back yeah. as opposed to before it was like, okay, this is a, a decision that I've made. You know, if it, if push came to shove and I had to eat something, it's like, okay, fine. But now it's more of a, of a political statement versus just um, a dietary choice. That's probably one of the most unique vegan stories we've heard so yeah. far. Like I was coming from the that. vision board <laughs> is incredible. Yeah. Um, I have to ask, did anything else on the vision board come true? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> no. No. I still mean, could. Still could. I mean, it could. I honestly, I don't even know who who was the man who I cut out. It could be like he could be married with five kids. Yeah. <laughs> Who he is. Um, I don't remember what, honestly, I was just cutting out pretty pictures. It, yeah. And I just so happened to cut out vegan. Um, I did actually cut out a picture of water because I needed to drink more water. That's always one of my goals, which is why I have some water right next to me. Yeah. Um, so I've gotten a little bit better at drinking more water regularly. So that's a, an incremental that's step. Nice. But this was definitely dramatic. Like yeah. to grow up in the South and be the South in the U.S. and just be so accustomed to, um, calorie dense foods and a lot of meat you know I'm from North mm -hmm. Carolina originally and that's like pork central like we mm -hmm. eat so much barbecue so just to, to be able to shift away from that coming from that sort of environment it is it is it's major mm -hmm. it did you kind of get into activism around the same time as it relates to activism I've always been in that space 
before I went vegan, I was, I was a baby activist at like seven, you know what I mean? So (laughs) I've always had a passion for, uh, speaking up for those who may not have the, um, wherewithal to speak for themselves or whose voices are being muted. Um, I've always spoken up for, uh, especially in the way of hunger and homelessness. Like that's been a very, that's been consistent in my life. This Mm -hmm. is not a new thing. Like I didn't wake up and say, you know, I'm going to help people and feed people today. Like that's always been a part of my life. So this isn't a, a new thing for me. Did you have family that was involved with activism or how did that spark at such a young age? Was it just in you and you were leading the way? Honestly, it was definitely me leading the way. Now, yeah. I can't say that my my parents were not supportive. They were absolutely supportive. But just to give you an example of the type of kid that I was, um, if I had an idea for a thing that I, that needed to happen, I would tell people. And I'm like, I'm, I, let me show you how to do it. And this is me at seven yeah. bossing people around, you know, 12 years old talking about we need <laughs> Made a, to we be need a vegan a, boss. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, um, we need to do a food drive. How old are you? I'm 11 and a half. And who's going to lead it? Me. I'm 11 and I'm doing it, you know? So like, that's incredible. That, I mean, so it's not foreign. I know a lot of times people will see somebody doing a thing and it's like, oh my gosh, like, how did you get so confident? And, and, you know, how did you just like figure out how to do it? Because I've been doing it my whole mm-hmm. life. Like I didn't mm-hmm. just wake up last night and say, I'm going to start a thing. I've been starting things since I was a teenager and I've been fortunate enough to have people around me that not only saw the passion, but saw the impact that these initiatives that I have in my mind can actually have on people's lives. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I've ultimately gone from collecting canned goods at my local um, church to give to people and preparing food for, you know, in a soup kitchen to now running an award-winning national hunger relief effort. So it's not a it's been a long journey. Yeah, it didn't happen overnight. Right. When it comes to going vegan, like you said, like where you live, it's such a contrast to what probably a lot of the people around you were eating. Like you said, all the barbecuing and stuff like that. Um, Did you experience any challenges when you did finally make that full switch to going vegan? And what would you say has been the most difficult part and the easiest part of switching? Yeah, I think the most difficult part of switching is not knowing what my food was going to taste like because I'd never prepared it in that way before. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to still call myself a foodie. I didn't want to give up the flavors that I enjoyed mm-hmm. because one thing that I actually didn't mention is that I actually I went vegan for like a two week period, maybe three years before the, the quote incident. Um, and I did it for two weeks and like, it was okay, but I didn't enjoy it. I was like, "Mm, I don't know, maybe another time in in my life. Um, I found some recipes, but they didn't taste like what I was accustomed to. And so I didn't know what to eat because I was, I wanted the mouth, certain mouthfeels and certain flavor profiles. And I had not seen that in my community. Um, So that was the most difficult piece that was figuring out how to cook differently, not realizing that I could literally do exactly what I had been doing before and just find vegetable, legume, 
plant replacements. Mm-hmm. You know, I can still have barbecue. I just need to use this thing called jackfruit. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, I could still have a steak. I just need to use seitan, you know? So it was, it, it was really just about figuring out how to season my vegetables in a way that I had not thought about before. Because so often when it comes to vegetables, they're like, they're like sidekicks on the plate. You know, we don't give them a lot of attention. It's like, you know, we got to eat them because we've got to eat them as opposed to making them the lead, which most of us know that we should be eating more fruits and vegetables, but we don't necessarily know how to do that without eating all salads all day. So true. Yeah. It's such like a learning curve, but when you think about it, like when people are eating animal products, they're using herbs, they're using spices, like they're cooking in a certain way to bring out flavors. So it is just that like mental shift about the replacements. Like what can you use instead, but Mm -hmm. still use the same like sauces and flavorings that you love. And I really think your story is important because I want people to know that they can kind of do it in stages like you did. Like you said, you gave up like pork products first and then beef and then like the the rest and then cheese after (laughs) you ate too much one day that kind of happened to me with eggs before I was vegan um but yeah I think that's important because some people will be better at making like slow adjustments like that whereas some people will go like vegan overnight so it's good to hear like kind of both stories Mm -hmm. yeah I I've not run across too many people who have been able to go cold turkey um not people who are from places like where I'm from Mm -hmm. because the options are often limited in in the area as what as to what you can buy quickly and still get full right um I had a friend of mine who I met him kind of relatively recently and he was seeing all the stuff that I was talking about you know with vegan and he was like I'm going vegan I was like okay I was like, do you have a plan? He was like, no. I said, well, <laughs> you realize that this is this is not what you're used to. You need to have a plan. Mm-hmm. It was like, well, you know, you made me those tacos that one time. That was good. I'm like, yeah, but you can't, you're not going to eat tacos every day. You're not going to be happy eating tacos every day. He was like, yeah, but they were good. Okay. He lasted three days mm. because he did not have a plan. Mm-hmm. He was like, well, go shop, go shopping with me. What are we buying? What are you making? I don't know. Let's just buy vegetables. They're going to sit in your refrigerator and go bad because you do not have a plan. Like, it sounds like he might not have had a big why yet either. Or did he? Did he have a why? For he didn't no. have a why. He didn't okay. have a plan. Okay. He just thought it was a good idea. Yeah. Um, and so having a why and having a plan, you know, you know, speaking to what you were saying before is um, what I always encourage people, why are you doing this? So that you can refer back to something when you're ready to change your mind. Like, oh, this is hard. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, why are you yeah. doing it? And that kind of centers you back. So for me, it was health. It was about um, doing it for the animals. Then it became about, um, quote, political. I say political in quotes because it's really just, it's really more about justice, not so mm-hmm. much political. Because a lot of times people think party, uh, political parties when you say yeah. politics. Um, more social justice, so on and so forth. But yeah, having a plan, having a why are fundamentally what you need before you jump into the the vegan ocean. Oh yeah, 100%. Have you noticed um, more options now where you live? Like, is it getting easier? 
to find like ready-made vegan stuff? Well, I, when I said that before, I was speaking mm -hmm. to where I'm from, not necessarily okay. where I live. Okay. Um, where I live, there's, there's always some, well, before the pandemic, there were <laughs> options at Whole Foods where you could just like go to the bar where they have like mm -hmm. an open bar and you can like collect your items and then like sit down sort of like in a eatery or kitchen style mm -hmm. sort of thing, which was really fun. Um, but they haven't been allowing us to do that. So okay. um, it's a little bit different, but I'm, I've always been a cook. So I, mm -hmm. I'm never without, um, because for me, it's about fruits and vegetables. I'm fortunate enough to not live in food apartheid. I, mm -hmm. I have access to fresh things, not always affordable, you know, but I have access to it and I have the money to pay for it. So I am grateful. Um, but no, I'm, I'm generally not without, but I, I do love sometimes the frozen options that you can get that you can just like pop in the microwave or, or mm -hmm. like saute on the oven on the um, oven or, or on the stove. Mm -hmm. That just makes life a lot easier because I'm not always ready to like cook something start to finish when I go in the kitchen. So I definitely have been um, trying some of those, but I'm, I'm not huge on like meat replacements okay. as far as like the processed kind. They don't necessarily do well in my tummy. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um. So I'm curious about kind of your entrepreneurial story and what Might Be Vegan is and how that's all started. Yeah. So Might Be Vegan started as an opportunity for me to help people go vegan by cooking in their home the things that I had learned to make it easy for them. It's like, hey, you're thinking about going vegan, you're transitioning, or maybe you're already vegan and you just want to have some meal prep right in, in your house. Um, because I've, I've always loved cooking. My friends have encouraged me to have a restaurant since I was about, I guess maybe for the past 15 years. <laughs> so, um, I was like, okay, let's do this. I don't want a restaurant right now. That's a lot of, that's a, that's a lot of debt to take on. Um, we'll cook in people's houses. I did that for a month. And then I realized that I don't like standing in people's kitchens all day. Like this mm -hmm. is not for me. I do not enjoy yeah. this. It's hot in here. Your kids are running around. Like, these are not my kids. This is not the <laughs> environment that I'm used to. <laughs> like, yeah. They got questions. What's this? It's, yeah. It's, I'm trying, I'm focused. Like I have 50 things going on in my mind and you're trying to talk to me right now. This is work. I'm at work. Why are you talking to me? Yeah. That play? would be challenging. No, I don't want to play. I don't want to play. <laughs> Mom, can you get your, your, Oh, honey, can you come out of the kitchen, please? <laughs> like, it's just a whole like yeah. thing. I was like, this, this is not it. This is not it. I'm not yeah. here for this. And then my feet hurt after it's over. Like I was like, do I need to get some Crocs or something? Like yeah. just, that was not it. So I said, how can I actually participate in the food space without having to stand up in the kitchen all day? And that's when I moved to food media, which allows me to still enjoy what I love about the creative side of food without actually having to be, to deal with the heat of the kitchen. And I mean, all of the heat, the, the kids, the standing up, the actual yeah. heat, you know, without having to deal yeah. with all that. Yeah. So Might Be Vegan has become a marketing company of sorts that focuses on um, helping brands that are in this space create content. So what you'll see a lot of times with people who are um, often referred to as content creators or influencers, 
they'll get a product, they'll review the product, they'll pose, hold a picture of that product, put it on the Instagram feed, and then that's their, that's their work. For me, I've, because my background is marketing, I've worked in um, marketing for my entire professional career. Um, that's how I have paid bills. Um, I knew that oftentimes businesses would outsource creative services. So whether that was, they would outsource photography, uh, writing, um, the content creation. And there was a way that I could do that without actually having to post anything on my social media. So if you go to my social media page, you won't see what looks like the page of an influencer. Mm -hmm. But I do regularly get paid to create content. That content just does not live on my page. So what, so what I do, um, and I've, I've done this with several brands, and I've done this through uh, event creation, is we create experiences and content that keep people wanting more. So for example, um, in 2019, we did the largest vegan tailgate in history unofficially. Uh, oh, that sounds said, fun. <laughs> <laughs> it was really amazing. We brought so many people together, 1,500 people, all eating vegan food uh, during the Super Bowl, and they ate for free. So that was the first time that we did something really, really big, um, and we invited brands to participate. And so that was part of creating stories, creating content. So the next year, I was like, okay, I really like this approach to business where we pick one thing that we focus on from the entire year. Because so often things change, you get new ideas, yada, yada, but it's so much mm -hmm. more streamlined and focused when you can build on a, on a singular thing. So the following year, um, I attempted for 2020 to um, do the Super Bowl activity again. It just wasn't working. It was in a completely different state than I was living in at the time. Um, it was, we weren't able to get the brands excited as we were last time because it was like, oh, we can't do anything. You know, we've hit the end of the year. We, our budgets are tight, yada, yada. So I said, okay, I don't know what 2020 is going to hold. I don't know what we're going to do, but I'm just going to trust that it's going to happen. And then pandemic happened. And then the idea for Food Love came about. And so Food Love has actually been a year long project um, under Might Be Vegan. Um, that project, very similar to the vegan tailgate, it's not a revenue driver. It's literally designed to help people. So you can kind of see the social enterprise integrated into how I run business. So even though, yes, I am get, getting paid um, to create content for brands and create and tell stories for them, we also give them projects that they can plug into along the way, like a food love. So for example, a brand might say, we really love what you're doing. We want to amplify it. Um, can we uh, maybe create some posts together for, to talk about food justice? Okay, cool. Boom. Mm -hmm. So now we've got this over here. So everything kind of leads back to that single place as yeah. opposed to like shifting foci all the time. Um, so ultimately might be vegan is a content creation company. Um, and that content could actually be experiential content. It could be written content. It could be video content. Um, what I really love is actually producing shows, which is kind of a newish kind of thing. Um, so we're working right now with a, a flower company and we uh, actually King Arthur flowers. So we are producing a competitive baking show 
um, all done virtually. And so that's part of what oh, cool. um, we've been uh, brought in to do. So we've been working on this show since, boy, uh, September when we started uh, casting or, or figuring out the concept and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we are at the very end where we have narrowed down our cast and now we are starting to film. Um, and so that's gonna be coming out very soon. So lots of different ways that content can be experienced. And that's, that's literally what we do. As long as it focuses on um, the values that are centered to might be vegan, we can do it. That sounds super creative and innovative. And it sounds like it would be really fun that you get to sort of dip your hands in all these different ways of creating content and campaigns for people. I'm wondering, cause I read a little bit about the food love on the might be vegan website. Um, so I'm guessing that's kind of a collaborative, like it's a bunch of different companies that you're working with to create food love or is it one main one? Yeah, so food love is all about partnerships. Um, every major activity that we do um, or at least so far. We've only done two major ones. I know it sounds like it's a, it's been a lot, but we're running a campaign for for the full year. And this is the second year of Food Love. So yeah. um, the partners that we identify, it's a lot of them. So without their help, it would cost a lot of money to do what we're doing. So um, we use maybe four or five different technology platforms um, to help with all the processes around getting food to people. Um, and if I hadn't, if I didn't say this already, I don't know if we talked about exactly what Food Love is, um, but it's a national hunger relief effort that delivers plant-based foods directly to the doorstep of people who are in need. And we focus very heavily on um, the BIPOC communities um, and those people who are low income and uh, people who, do, who are low income and don't have transportation or some other restriction keeping them from getting the, the nourishment that they need. So given that we're delivering direct to doorstep, we have to have partners that have that capacity. So we're always open to adding more partners. The thing about the pandemic is so many brands in that space are very stretched thin with a, with a lot of people asking them for help. So we will continue with this project and continue to add partners um, for the long run because I have quite a few ideas about how do we address food insecurity, not just one time, but mm -hmm. long-term. And in order to do that, we have to continue with what we are doing and continue to find where people live, where the holes are. And so ultimately this is like a, a case study to understand mm -hmm. what's happening as it relates to food insecurity. And we're helping people along the way and we're introducing them to plant-based eating. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Is it ingredients that they get or like ready-made meals? So it can vary. Okay. Um, we have in the past sent things for people to prepare kind of like a meal kit where mm -hmm. they can just grab the recipe, put the things together on the stove. Um, more recently, we focused on prepared meals to make it simpler so they don't have to think at all. It's just like, here, eat this, heat it up, you're done, mm -hmm. you know, makes it simpler. Um, we're also open to produce deliveries. Um, we've been in conversation with a, a few companies that deliver nationally uh, for produce. Um, we've even worked with like local partners. It just takes a lot more time to onboard a local partner to only have them available for one region, mm -hmm. which can be tough 
when we can accept uh, referrals from anywhere in the country. So what, what we found is like, say we find a partner in um, Biloxi, Mississippi, for example. What I found is that now that partner is like, okay, send me all the people. The problem is we are not in control of when we get someone or where they are from. So sometimes that partner will be waiting like, you know, three weeks, four weeks a month for us to send them names. So regional partners often aren't as active because, again, we can accept things from everybody. So maybe it's not Biloxi, Mississippi, but maybe it's three miles, you know, three, three hours down the road, but you can't deliver there. You know, so it's Mm -hmm. it makes a little bit more complicated. So we tend to have regional partners in sort of the um, areas that have dense populations like New York and LA and that kind of thing, but kind of the smaller regional partners in the areas that aren't as populated, not so much. Okay. Yeah. That was going to be one of my other questions was like, what locations are currently active with food love? I think LA is actually pretty popular. Um, Texas before the snow situation that happened. I'm not sure if you're familiar or um, are aware of that, but before we got, we got quite a few families in Texas, Um, the Carolinas, so North and South Carolina, we get quite a few. Honestly, it can vary day to day. And one of the things that we don't have is um, we don't have as, as much in the way of analytics as I would like. So one of the things that we are planning is building our, a, a custom application that allows us to, extrapolate data as we need it to be able to answer questions like these more effectively Mm -hmm. Uh, because right now what we do is we get a name it doesn't matter where you're from because I'm not paying attention I was like all right cool feed them push a button you know yeah and we don't and we try to make that process as simple as possible for the advocates that refer the families to us and as streamlined as possible for all the volunteers who are working every day on this project myself included so Building this as we've gone, we've used quite a few technology platforms, as I mentioned before. We've used Airtable, Asana, um, Autopilot, uh, uh, Twilio, just so many different apps that let us do what we do. The issue is there isn't a way to review what's coming into our applications in a way that allows us to like download reports that says how many families did we feed this week? Mm -hmm. I would literally have to open up our customer relationship management and like count how many Mm -hmm. families were added and then go to a spreadsheet and see how how many times we fed them. So even though it's, it's, the system works, there's still holes in our capacity to study what's Mm -hmm. happening. Okay. Well, this is such a huge undertaking. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm, I'm sure there's going to be like an evolution of like the technology and like everything like that. And sure. like you'll get the stats eventually. Um, so with the recipients, do they like apply to to receive these meals? No. So there's no application process. Um, the way that it works is First, I have to say, I didn't want people to have to apply to ask for help because that just Mm -hmm. feels really weird to me. Right. Um, I would prefer to say, hey, do you need help? And they say yes. Mm -hmm. And then we send them help. 
The problem with that approach is you open yourself up to potential fraud by just letting anybody put their name on a list to say, mm-hmm. I need help. It, you could literally get somebody living in a mansion that right. just wants something free. You mm-hmm. never know that, right? You know it would happen. It would happen. Exactly. It, I mean, it's, it actually happened. <laughs> um, <Wow>. We, <laughs> so a couple of times, um, and now let me say this, that's not to say that just because you're in a big house, it does not mean that you are not struggling mm-hmm. because A, that house could be paid for, B, you could be living with 52 people in that house, um, C, good. you could have lost your job. So that's not to say that a big house means that you don't have money. But what I am saying is that we, we did have fraud, but unintentional fraud. Someone found out about, I think it was maybe October of last year. Someone found out about, found the link where people could upload names. They found it. And they didn't know what the program was about necessarily. And they thought it was an opportunity for anybody who wanted free food to get free food. Mm. So they decided to share that with their friends. And they were like, hey, if you guys want some free food, there's this place over here that's giving out free food. They sent an email to their friends and then all their friends signed up on the list. And it happened one day because I woke up and my phone was just like binging for all the like names. And they were all like in one city and some of them were on the same street. They were neighbors. And I was like, hmm, hmm. Let me investigate this because I'm like, I don't know, but something just doesn't look right. That doesn't mean that we haven't served people in the same community because we have like we've served people who live within like the same um, uh, housing complex because it may be like a discounted type of supported housing, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, But neighbors like you live in one house, they live in another house and then three doors down somebody else. I'm like, okay, so I started investigating and. I asked everyone, I was like, hey, how did you find out about this? And I had one person respond back. She was like, oh yeah, you mean this? And she sent me a screenshot of the email. And the email basically said what I told you, which is, hey, if you want some free food, go put your name on the list. And I was like, okay, that's not what this wow. is. Let me, let me reset. Let me first not assume that the people on the list don't need help. So what I did was I removed everybody, put them in a completely different spreadsheet emailed everybody and said, listen, I, I think maybe you have misunderstood what we're trying to do. Um, but if you do need help, here's the process. Here's the appropriate process. I need you to give a call to your social worker, or your caseworker, your dietitian, your nutritionist, whoever referred you, have them resubmit you. And everybody on that list said, we don't have one of those. So that's how I knew that we had to change our process. Mm-hmm. And so I put then the application to um, be an advocate behind a login. So the only people who have to apply are advocates. And advocates just need a professional email from the place where they work to be approved. So, you know, you work at the Veterans Administration, you work at a school, Mm -hmm. you work, um, I don't know, we've had so many different places. Uh, mm-hmm. You work in a hospital. So wherever it is you work, as long as your email is from the place where you work, then the approval process is okay. simple. Then we open up the door to allow everyone else that they want to refer, all because we trust them now because that's their job, right? Their job is to help others, to find resources for others. And so we trust them as they submit. And so yes, an advocate could be a scammer, mm-hmm. but I mean, 
it is what it is. That's the yeah. best we can do. <laughs> no, that sounds like a good system in place for that. Yeah. Um, with the people that you're sending these plant-based like ingredients or meals to, have you gotten any feedback um, from them about like, oh, I didn't know like vegan meals could taste so good or like this has kind of sparked my interest in like vegetarian or vegan eating? Yeah, no, we actually haven't gotten any food, any feedback about interest in vegan eating. Okay. Um, but we don't get a lot of feedback in general because we don't have um, this, uh, the closure of what I call the feedback loop that mm -hmm. we're planning on adding. So one of the goals for the next quarter is to invite people to share feedback because we don't, when we send out food, there are no strings attached. You don't have to do anything else. Like once we let you know the food is, is, has delivered, you know, go about your day, wait for the box to come to the front door. So we only get stories from people who are just like overly excited. Okay. So it's not as often. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, what we have seen. So I think actually it was yesterday, actually. Yeah. Yesterday we got a, um, a message from a, a social worker that works in a school system. And she said, I had a quite, I had quite a few families that wanted to send you a thank you letter. And I'm like, isn't that like the sweetest thing ever? And I was like, well, do this. Like, you don't have to mail it. Cause it's like, I'm, I'm a little everywhere. So do this, just have them write it and then scan it for us. And then you can send it to us in the email. So what she decided to do instead is like transcribe it and like send us pictures. Mm -hmm. So I have like all these like pictures of like kids in my inbox now. I'm like, oh, Aww. look at this. That's really How sweet. Amazing. So I had one kid um, who wrote like on a little uh, whiteboard, thank you. And then like was holding it up. And then I had another kid in the classroom. Like just, you get to kind of see the faces cause you don't always know, right? Cause I don't, I don't have kids. I mean, clearly you could tell I didn't have kids when I was talking about kids earlier being in the kitchen. <laughs> we don't either. <laughs> so, so now, um, you, sometimes I, I lose sight of the fact that there are children in the house, even though I do know this, seeing their face, like makes it a little bit more real, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of something that we hope to in quarter two be able to just address but there's so many honestly when it comes to like technology there's so many little things that I'm um changing as we go uh mm -hmm. last week we actually improved um one element of our process where now we're able to automatically notify our advocates the status of the delivery for a family because before I was having to do that manually if they asked me you know so it's kind of like you're we're running this business and we're moving it forward and then we as we see okay wait this is taking a long time let's see if we can automate this so that's kind of that's me figuring out as we go mm -hmm. um every time you have like sort of media uh, attention around this like I think you've been interviewed about food love a few times do you have um, companies and like vegan brands reach out to you wanting to partner oh yeah definitely yeah. Um, it's really fun because like some days after we have the these like media experiences like we were on Cheddar News at one point um, we did actually by the time you all listen to this it won't it would have already happened but um, tomorrow we're going to be on um Jane Unchained. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, but we'll be on that outlet. Jane is actually okay. a, uh, a journalist who started her own network that focuses on 
specifically all things vegan. Um, so I think she may have like won some Emmys or like just won some awards for just her, her, her work. Anywho, so what happens often is we'll get brands that say, hey, we want to help what you're doing. What can we do? Or we'll get brands that say, uh, we have a lot of extra food that we want to send you. Can we do that? And I would love to be able to say yes to all the extra food. But honestly, Food Love, we are connectors. Mm. We do not have a warehouse. We are fully location independent, which makes mm. our approach to food insecurity um, a lot more efficient mm-hmm. um, and costless because we're not having to warehouse anything. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we'll have brands that say, you know, we want to give money to help pay for food costs. Um, others will say, can we create content together to promote what you're doing for more people? Um, it just varies, honestly. Um, but what I found that's most helpful. It's just people saying, yeah, what can I do? And I don't always have the answer, but eventually something comes. So, but yeah, definitely we get brands that are interested. Okay. And so this is, I mean, I'm trying to think about how it would be like similar or different to a food bank, but I'm not sure how food banks work in the States. Um, I guess there's a lot more like requirements for people to be able to get food from there. And it probably wouldn't be plant-based. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So it's definitely not plant-based. A couple of things about food banks. Yes. Generally speaking, anybody can go to a food bank and get food. Sometimes, and we saw this in the pandemic, that they require that you have documentation that you are a resident of that area. The problem with that is immigration and undocumented people Mm -hmm. who still contribute to our society, but don't necessarily have the papers to prove that. Right. So that kind of creates an issue or created an issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, Food banks are generally open for any and everybody, and they can accept things from brands that want to ship product or whatever. Another problem with food banks is you have to actually be near them. So that's not necessarily the, a problem with the bank itself. It's just a problem mm-hmm. with the idea of a food right. bank is in order to get the food, you have to be close to it in order to get to the place to get the food. Um, another concern is the quality of food because often, and I know this because I've done this mm-hmm. when we're collecting, when we're doing food drives, we're getting canned foods, things that often have a lot of salt preservatives and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And that's not good for your body, especially if you're dealing with diet related issues. So if you have hypertension, type two diabetes, and Mm -hmm. you're eating this food, these meats that are exacerbating your symptoms and worsening your your health, Mm -hmm. then what exactly did you get from the food bank? Mm -hmm. So um, that's why this approach is so valuable because you don't have to have documentation Mm -hmm. to get food. you don't have to, in addition to not having documentation, you don't actually have to be near the location. You just tell us where you are and we'll get it to you. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of frees up how many people we can serve. That's amazing. So I know you said you kind of have like one focus each year. And so Food Love has been going on for going on two years now. Yeah. So year one, we started in April. So this is 
the second calendar year, but the end of the first okay. year of, of working on the project. So do you think this is going to keep continuing and then you'll have other projects like maybe on the side? So there are always projects on the side um, because we're creating content, right? So there's always like small little things that my be vegan does. But as far as the energy and the focus and what we're bringing brands along um, to participate with, it's going to continue to be food love this year because what else, what else are we going to do? There's people still yeah. hungry. Like we're still, yeah. there's so many people left still to help. Um, and I have quite a few ideas about addressing food insecurity across the nation. Mm -hmm. And I just need a couple of people to believe in me that I can make it happen. You know what I mean? Like I'm still being that 11 and a half year old. Like I have an idea. Yeah. Like, do you trust me a little bit? You know? So that's what I, that's what I want to do. So one of the things that's really interesting. So if um, brands will happen to be listening into this conversation, we're actually launching a cooking class for our families. Um, and it's exclusive for our families and they get, additional food from us for participating in the class. Um, there's a finite amount of food for this particular thing um, mm -hmm. because it's there, the, the partners that we bring in for this project will decide, you know, how many families can participate because these families will also get supplemental things from the brands. So if it's a meal kit company, if it's a hot sauce company, if it's a ramen noodle company, whatever it is, mm -hmm. they'll get product from these companies and then we'll use it in a cooking class together. So the goal is to, as it has always been, to help people eat more plants. And so we're looking for brands to partner with this class, um, but it's not free. Most of the partnerships that we've had so far have been in kind. Um, this, however, is going to require we hire some people to get some things done because mm -hmm. it's going to be a dedicated project within a project. It's going to run an entire year. And so we need a dedicated person to manage that process because it can't be me because I'm managing all the food love stuff. Yeah. You know, because I, we still got to feed people every day, but we want to supplementally help people more. And this is a way to do that. So we're looking for brands to sponsor each class um, and help us to help families make change in a real way and then actually get their hands in it and try it and do it because we've given them food before all they had to do was microwave it yeah next phase is now let's show you let us show you how to do it in the kitchen let's do that together you know so it's, it's incrementally improving how we support families love that and I'm assuming it will be online classes all online yeah everything will be virtual okay. um it's so interesting because you know when you said that it, it reminded me that a lot of the families that we work with um, their financial issues aren't just specific to food. So I have to just remind people as they're listening that some of the families that we serve don't have internet access. Mm -hmm. So this isn't something that we can offer to them. Um, some of the families that we serve, like we've been in the middle of getting ready to serve a family and then their phone was cut off. Mm -hmm. So the problem is now we can't communicate with them to let them know like the food is coming. So we just have to like close our eyes and pray that they're still you know, yeah. like attentive and, and, and aware that there's something on the way. So it's, it's really interesting to manage all of that, knowing, you know, some, some families don't speak um, English as a primary language or don't speak English at all. So figuring out, you know, Spanish communication and 
I am the queen of like Google Translate. Like I have no idea what you just said, but the internet does. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's just, it's been interesting navigating because I, I can admit that these are not things that I think about on a regular basis because it's not my experience, mm-hmm. but I have to be in tune to the advocates as they say, as they share what's going on. It's like, hey, this family has had to move. Um, I know you already shipped it, but can we ship another, can we ship it somewhere else now? Yes, like we'll figure that out. So it's just a lot of kind of shifting. So some of our families won't be able to take advantage of this. Like I I know that, Mm -hmm. Um, but for those who can, um, we want to continue to help them and support them. Yeah, definitely. Um, So you do a lot of work with social justice issues, obviously, and anti-racism. Um, have you experienced support in these movements from the vegan community or are there like issues you'd like to address within the vegan community? Um, I think racism exists, period. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's not, I used to try to segment it to say, well, I didn't expect this group to be racist and I didn't expect that group to be racist. Like it's everywhere. Like every, Mm -hmm. I had, so I'm going to say something. It's a really heavy statement, but it's, it's a true statement. So I had a friend of mine who said something to me years ago and I grappled with it so much. He said to me, he said, all white people are racist. And I said, wait, but no, wait, wait, no, 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 no. Because like, he was like, no, he said, he said, you are, your view of racism is through the lens of someone having hatred toward you. Mm-hmm. You can be nice and racist. You can be nice and, and support the systems that continue to enable systemic oppression. That is racism. And I said, Frank, you're so right. So, and I think that's, that's the reason why it hits people so hard is because they assume that me saying that you are racist because you are white is saying that you're a mean person and you're bad. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily what we're saying. What we're saying is that there is a system that is outside of your consciousness that you participate in. Mm -hmm. And we want to call that out. So racism exists. Does it exist in the vegan community? Yes, it it exists in the omnivore community. It exists everywhere. What we do hope is that communities like the vegan community can understand compassion in a way that maybe others cannot, but that does not mean that I put more on them as in, that does not mean that I put more on them as far as expectations of it. It means that they have more capacity for it, but I don't expect that. Um, and, and maybe that's a, a darker way of viewing the world, but I'm also on the flip side, very much interested in making change. So even though this may be my view and understanding of what racism looks like, I'm also very optimistic in the way of change. And so when we started Food Love, we got all no's when we started Food Love, when we started, when I started talking to brands, everybody said no. I reached out to them April, May, everybody said no. Most of them said, well, we just gave food to the nurses and doctors. The reason that that no hurt me so much is because what I communicated with them was that people of color were dying at twice the rate of their white counterparts after contracted COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And most of that was because of, um, was diet related because of pre-existing conditions. 
And I said, there's something that we can do. We can help people. We can um, give them food. Like you have the best quality food. You have the best option. Can you help me get it to people who are vulnerable right now? And they ignored me. Um, or saw the message and just left it on red, like didn't say anything. I was like, I mostly gave up, to be honest with you at that point, because I was just like, I am tired. I am tired of yelling because I feel like I'm yelling. I feel like I'm, I am saying, hey, this system is unfair for people of color. And I feel like I'm yelling at them. And they're like, man, what are you talking about? Like, I just, it was like, oh, I can't take it because it just felt like another rejection of my entire community, honestly. And so I had gotten to the point where I was sending like the last of the emails and the rejection, it just hit that same rejection again. And it was, oh, we're, we're, we're partnering with this, um, this nursing community, this hospital community, yada, yada. We just sent the nurses like some meals. And I was just like, I called one of my friends and I was crying quite a bit. And she was like, um, she was like, well, first of all, you knew this was going to be tough going into it. And I was like, yeah, that's not helping me right now. I'm in tears. She said, um, but you have to remember what you're good at. And I said, what do you mean? She said, you are an incredible writer and storyteller. And you need to write a rebuttal. I was like, okay. So I got my face together, got my tears together. And I sat down and I wrote a rebuttal. I sent that rebuttal. Sorry, waiting for the car to go by. <laughs> I, sent, I sent that rebuttal to a brand. And it basically said, um, thank you so much for your support of the community. We really need our nurses right now. They are such a vital part of, you know, life that we, we can't do this without them. Um, what I'm asking for is a little bit different than that. Um, the nurses are fully employed. And while this moment is tough for them, sending them food is a thank you. What I am asking you for is not a thank you, but it is a need. And I closed my phone. Uh, but before, well, as I was getting ready to close my phone, because I figured they was going to ignore me again, I saw typing. I was like, oh, snap. It's about to be another no. <laughs> and the response was, you're right. Let's do it. I, I think I cried again. I cried again because I was I'm like, curious. finally, <laughs> like somebody got it. Like, so that was that was Splendid Spoon. And that was the first brand partner that we signed on to help us get meals to people who are underserved, who are forgotten, um, and who are in desperate need. And that was the beginning of it. And so as I'm looking at, you know what, I'm answering this question, but I don't remember your original question. So I'm going to pause here to ask you what your original question was to make sure I'm answering it. Because I knew I was going somewhere, but I got lost. <laughs> I think just about like social justice and addressing um, uh, anti-racism yes. okay. in the yes. media. Support, got it. Yeah. So after we got our first yes, shortly thereafter, 
George Floyd was murdered. And so many brands were trying to figure out how do they participate in this space? What do they do? Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, oh, Black Square, let's do that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's cool, but I mean, we appreciate your camaraderie. But honestly, we're not asking for camaraderie, we're asking for change. Mm-hmm. So, what we did, and it was me and um, a, a woman named Kelly, who I was who was working with me at the time with brand partnerships. I had an idea and I just pitched it to her. I said, Kelly, this is gonna sound crazy, but what if we change our pitch a little bit? What if we say, we wanna partner with you, but we also know that you're trying to figure this moment out. Let's talk about that. And let's talk about partnering. Hmm. So we got on the phone, we had at least 75 conversations, maybe 80, maybe a hundred, it was a lot. We, I was on the phone all day, every day, talking to brand leaders, talking to them about how do you play an active role in anti-racism beyond this black square that you posted up, beyond the, mm-hmm. we believe racism in all forms are wrong. Beyond that, we get it, thank you, amen, let's do something about it. What we decided to do was talk to them. So I have like booklets of things that I have said to brands over the course of um, the month that we did these calls. And what I found is that some of them had thought through what they were planning to do. Others had no clue where to begin. So to bring us back to your original kind of like thought starter and question, um, yes, in this space, racism exists because in order for us to not be a racist society, we have to first be able to see how the racism is being perpetrated, uh, perpetuated rather. And a lot of brands, maybe they don't have the time, the money, the energy, the interest to actually take a deep dive and see what's really going on. Mm-hmm. So it's going to continue until we get their attention enough to say, this is wrong, this is what's happening. One example of that. Um, which I'm sure both of you have seen in the way of um, brand accountability um, is there was a brand that I reached out during this time, um, Bob's Red Mill, actually. And Bob's Red Mill, when we asked them, you know, would you be interested in having a conversation to talk about your brand playing an active role in anti-racism? Their response to me was like, yeah. um, Okay. Yeah, sure. Let's send me an email. So we sent an email and they were like, oh, we don't have any money to, to pay you as an influencer. I was like, I didn't ask to be paid as an influencer. I am actually asking you, can, would, can, we, can we talk? This is it, mm-hmm. just to talk, mm-hmm. that's all I want. So at that point they were like, yeah, let's check with leadership. We cycle back a few days later. They were like, yeah, so they said that they're not interested in talking to anybody about anything. And I was like, anybody about anything oh, okay sure so i broad <laughs> statement <laughs> really yeah. like beating around the bush there like yeah they're not interested at anybody not just me like we're not yeah. they're not interested in talking to you they said they're not interested in talking to anybody about this like anybody mm-hmm. i was like oh that's interesting so i started to do a little investigating looked up a little bit about bob's red mill I was frustrated not because they rejected me but because they rejected the idea of a conversation around anti-racism and so I made a video. I was mad, honestly, 
And I was like, let me, let me just make a video, see how it goes. I posted the video up at like 3 a.m. that next day. By noon, they were they had called me. It's like, so Kimberly, hi. So um I think there's been a misunderstanding. Has it though? Has it? been a misunderstanding there's like that's not what we meant you didn't mean to say what you wrote you said you didn't want to talk to anybody about anything so why are you calling me now what happened is in that time that video that video went like baby viral and everybody was on 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 their backsides like hmm. what's up wow so that kind of began um this look into brands in a public way um because not only are people grateful for just the research around what brands are doing, but the actions then thereafter that bring them to accountability. Because for me, I don't believe in cancel culture when there's an opportunity to restore something. You know, we don't, I mean, if, if somebody is gonna be, if a, if a brand is just gonna be evil and they wanna permanently be evil and they don't wanna talk, okay, cool, we can cancel them. But these are people inside the brand. And it's hard for me to believe that everybody within a company is just out to destroy everything and everybody mm -hmm. around them. So if they want to do better, let's help them figure out how to do better. And by we, I mean me, because I'm not giving that responsibility to, you know, any of the people who are following me, because it's a lot of work, if I can be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Because when we sat down with Bob's Red Mill and had that initial conversation, I gave him like 15 minutes, like, tell me what's up. You only got 15 minutes because you're not paying me. Um, I tried to have this conversation like a week ago for free. So more than 15 minutes, you got to pay me. I'm sorry. Like, that's just, that's mm -hmm. where my line is at this point. So we hopped on the call and he said, you know, this is, you know, this is not what we meant. And I was like, all right, fine. So I said, here's what we're going to do. Since the video was public, then we need to also do a public response and we're going to do it live. So we did it live. I went live with him and the Bob's Red Mill account. And I asked him questions, really hard questions. That video is actually up as well about what their brand is doing and why is their brand so white? Like literally all of your employees are white. Why? It's like, well, our location, that is, that's, not an, that's not an excuse. Like you have no diversity and you didn't even know that you didn't have diversity. He was like, I didn't realize we didn't have any people of color until you showed me a picture that's on our own website. That's how absent you are? You're that absent. Wow. And I'm assuming that you didn't even notice that the black people that you do have on your website, all of them are people in need. They're children that are hungry. Those are the black people you have on your social media. You didn't realize that either? Oh my God, no, that's terrible. It is terrible. So, <laughs> so but this, that conversation sparked actual policy changes at Bob's Red Mill. Mm -hmm. They literally created a program that would move people to the area, specifically people of color, in order to diversify their wow. staff. They put money where their mouth is. And so I can't have anything but respect for somebody that says, you called us out, you said that something was wrong, and we made effort financially to make that change. And I think that's the issue with a lot of brands that they don't. They don't want to make, they don't want to invest money. So even conversations that I'm having now about let's pay people fairly, it's like, yeah, but we'll lose money. Exactly. That's the point. You will lose money for doing the thing that is right because it is right to do. And at the end of the day, if you're not going to do that, then I'm going to just continue to yell from the mountaintops that's your trash, yeah. you know, until we get it fixed because it's not hard. Like we should not have to live in a, in a, in a world where exploiting people for money is still a thing, but it is like, why, why can't people be paid fairly? Why can't we mm -hmm. have meaningful conversation around 
paying people fairly as opposed to some of the responses I've been getting in my direct messages this past two weeks. But anywho, that's another story. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to the brand accountability, um, like after the Black Lives Movement happened and that gained a lot of traction and attention mainstream, like for a lot of different brands, you were probably um, approached uh, about collaborating or wanting to work with you. Um, why do you think it's important to discontinue the um, the gifted campaign offers? Because it sounds like a lot of these brands were reaching out, but they weren't willing to pay or they weren't prepared to pay. Um, what do you want these brands and people to know about the brand accountability um, discussion that you've started? Yeah. Which is super so, important. Yeah, I think brand accountability can have so many applications. So in this moment right now, my the focus of um, the, brand account, the brand accountability work is on fair pay for content creators. I come from a background where I've been creating content for my entire life. So I understand the value of it. What has happened in the marketing space is that we've moved away from, from creating content with just photographers and the marketing department and graphic designers to now it is disseminated, it is democratized. So now everybody can be a content creator. The problem with that is the money that was assigned to the photographers, the graphic designers, the set designers, the makeup artists, all of that, that money did not travel with the industry shift to democratize content creation. Mm-hmm. Instead, a lot of companies are taking money from their existing sampling budget, which is a lot smaller than their marketing budget in general for creating ads and things like that. So it has been a, a positive thing on the brand side because they're spending less money to get the same sort of results. So now what they've been able to do is ask a content creator or even having a content creator approach them and say, hey, can I have some free product? I'll make a post for you. Or even worse, they ask the content creator, would you be willing to work in exchange for some, a bag of potato chips? So if they do that, what they're saying is, I value your work enough to have it represent my brand, but not enough to pay you anything at all. So the reason that that is a, a particularly a problem when you're approaching a BIPOC specifically, actually a black creator on the heels of George Floyd's murder, you can't just ask people to work for free and also hold up these supposed values of Black Lives Matter because our lives are not just whether or not we can live like physically be alive, but whether or not we have the same opportunities as other people, though that is still our lives. Mm -hmm. So why is it that then you cannot pay us for that? For me, when I get a, when I'm approached about, can you create content? Can you do it for free? We're trying to diversify our feed, then put money assign money to diversifying your feed because all of those white people that are on your feed, you pay them. If you pay them, why can't you pay us? Mm -hmm. We're not props. We're not props to be used to make your customers feel better 
about looking at a feed that's all white. If you're not gonna pay black people, don't put them on your feed. So at least we know exactly what we're looking at. We're looking at a company that has decided that white people are worth more than black people. Okay, cool, that's fine. Because I would rather you be honest mm -hmm. in that than make it look like, oh, we've diversified and now we've got black models. Oh, they got paid in potato chips. Have any of the conversations that you've had with these brands that you're holding accountable when they do send you emails or approach you like that, um, what have the conversations led to? Like, have, have they really gotten it together and come back with a proper offer? And um, are you finding that there is going to be like a new industry standard for pay for content creators? Because right now I just feel like it's kind of a big shit show like nobody knows what to pay or mm -hmm. how or like what is going on what yeah. to charge um so i'm curious yeah. what those conversations kind of looked like well here's what's so interesting about that in general like figuring out what to pay um if you ask graphic designers what is a standard rate for what they do it's there's no standard Mm -hmm. If you ask a photographer, what is the standard rate for what you do? There's no standard. Some photographers will charge you thousands of dollars. Some will charge you a couple hundred. It's not a reflection of their skill. It's a reflection of what they are charging. Mm -hmm. That's what they have decided to charge. That's what happens when you are in a consultant or freelance role. You set your own rate. So there may never be a time where there is consistency because we're not employees. We're not being hired. There's not a minimum wage here. But I will, I will venture to say that I think we should never pay anyone less than what they would make if they had a minimum wage job. I think anything under that is, is robbery and it's exploitation. Um, now, as far as conversations, what has happened, man, so... <laughs> I, this, apparently the way that my life works is like somebody just pisses me off like one too many times. And I'm like, okay, I'm making a note about this. We're just going to go. Like, I'm just like cr crazy by my computer after that. Um, but what happened is one brand reached out to me and it was like, like the fourth brand that week saying, can you, um, hey, we love your feed. Here's more information about our brand. We'd love to partner with you. Um, we'd like to send you this drink, milk, tea in exchange for a post. And I was just like, like, how, like, can y'all stop, please stop. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, you know what? Okay, <laughs> not today. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is just wrong. Yeah. Because it's not just that you have sent me a direct message. You literally took the time to find my email address. You popped in a template. You emailed me to ask me to work for free. So I said, you know what, I'm done. So that weekend, it was like a Friday, I said, I'm going to post every single brand that has asked me to work for free and I'm going to tag them because I am tired of it because it is wrong and it is exploitation. And so mm -hmm. I did. My Instagram went bonkers. <laughs> I bet. Everybody was like, oh my gosh, Kimberly's calling out brands. <laughs> it was nuts. I had so many journalists in my inbox. That was the thing that was most surprising is that journalists were like, ooh, what is this? We're eating it up. So, um, man, since that time, man, so some of the conversations have been great. Some of them have been crazy. Um, whew, I, I, I'll share a few. Uh, we spoke with Revive Superfoods 
um, we had a conversation with their influencer marketing manager. I think that's her job, her title. Mm-hmm. And she was open. She was very open. Like, um, you know, this, I hear what you're saying. I, we've built our entire program around people working for free, basically. So while we do recognize what you're saying, we're going to need some time to make a shift. And I get that because literally I am telling you, you've been doing your whole job wrong. And now you've got to literally figure out how to redo that. So I understand how jarring that conversation can be and how frustrating it can be in many cases. But I think that if we don't start the conversation, nothing will ever change. And so since that time, um, Revive has started to commit to minimally inviting everyone to their affiliate program from from the beginning. Now, I'm not a huge fan of affiliate programs because I think still ultimately people can end up working for free. Not a huge fan. But I think it's an incremental step and I think it's a beginning so that we can at least say, here's some money assigned to what you're doing. The reason I don't like affiliate programs is because I am a content creator. It is not my job to sell anything. You didn't ask the the photographer, the graphic designer, or shoot, Mm -hmm. you didn't even ask the social media manager how much did they sell this week, but you're asking me. That's a problem. My job is to be a space for an ad so that people can be introduced or, or reconnect with what you do. If they happen to swipe up, that's cool. But we, but, but attribution, for those who don't know what attribution is, it's, it's how we determine well, where a sale came from. So when you click links all over the internet, there's a, there, there is miniature technology that will say how you got to where you are. Oftentimes, you'll know that those are as, as cookies. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes, a cookie will be assigned once it comes from Instagram, but that cookie may not tell you um, which Instagram page. That's the reason that we use affiliate links because now they have what we call UTM codes or UTM parameters that will directly assign that cookie and that um, specific Instagrammer or TikToker by name so they'll know who did it. The issue with those are not everybody clicks a thing uh, when they're thinking about buying. Sometimes people just see it and then go to the store and pick it up. True. The other issue is there is a 30-day window attached to this attribution. So if someone buys something six months from now, you receive none of that money, even though you participated in the sale. Mm-hmm. So I am always a proponent of you need to give us actual pay, not commission. If you want to give us commission, give that on top of whatever you pay us. Um, but again, it is a start because I understand that this is a big change. Now, we have had brands that have enthusiastically said, yes, that is, that is what we do. We gift things and we give it away for free so that they can make content. And we love our we love our influencers. I'm like, and you're saying that like it's a good thing. <laughs> That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had people get mad at me. Um, I had one brand that said that that said to me that I was misrepresenting their brand. I was like, I all I did was take a screenshot from my email. So, mm-hmm. I mean, either you're saying either you're saying that you got hacked and somebody hacked you to help you, or I'm not wrong. <laughs> So, um, man, but we have seen actual change. We have seen brands that have been open to conversation, um, brands that have committed to just working with fewer people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just the beginning, but I do know that people are paying attention. I had like a whole one hour, one hour conversation with an agency actually. 
um, she had more excuses than I could have imagined. Mm -hmm. um, and I think at some point I got tired of excuses, so I just stopped talking. Um, and then shortly thereafter, she sicked her friend on me and her friend ended up trying to be somewhat abusive to me in my direct wow. messages. And I was like, I'm trying to help people get there, get what, get money mm -hmm. for, for yeah. the work that they're doing. That's not, I'm not, I'm not coming at you for anything frivolous. Like you get paid to go to work. We want to get paid to go mm -hmm. to work. Like what, how, how hard mm -hmm. is that? Well, I think you made a really good point at the beginning too, to put things in perspective for brands that are listening, who are like, not sure, you know, what should the starting wage be? Like, how do I approach this? Like, this is all new to me is if you look at it as like, what would the minimum wage be? So like, let's say an influencer has zero followers, like a brand mm -hmm. new account, the time it takes for them to create the content and to post it and write about it you should still look at that time as like that, that needs to be at least a minimum wage starting yeah. off with someone yeah. new. Is that correct? Yeah, you that's say? what I would say. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because you, you're going to create the content regardless, even if it doesn't end up on your pay, on your feed. And I think that's the thing that people forget. Sometimes like when we first started this conversation, you were asking, what do I do with my be vegan? I create mm -hmm. a lot of content. It doesn't end up on my page. I get paid to create the content, mm -hmm. but I, I am not using my platform to advertise. Okay. So if you're also asking us to advertise, then that's more money. So I think people have to remember that maybe our, maybe everybody's Instagram feed is not worth the same in the sense of how many people we will reach. But we also have to know that we have to be aware that Instagram also um, mutes and, and um, buries content that has like hashtag ad, hashtag ad and hashtag sponsored. So in as much as we may have good intentions for a post that we put out there, and let's say like mine, you have about 20,000 followers, but it's because it says at hashtag ad, mm. Instagram doesn't put it out there. So now instead of getting the 1500 likes that you think it's going to mm -hmm. have, it only gets 150, but that has nothing to do with me. That's the platform. So we are, right. we are beholden to the platform. So I think brands have to think of that all in context. Because yeah. they know this, they know that their posts often will, you know, go crazy. And then sometimes you get nothing. They see this. So mm -hmm. you have to give content creators and influencers um, on their social media accounts, you have to give them that same grace and understanding and think about it from the perspective of um, we now have content that we can potentially use on our page. We can use it and, and whitelist it so that we can use it as ad space. We have to be more intentional about who we choose. I heard one brand say, well, you have to kind of, you know, before we work with you, you have to prove yourself. Prove myself how? You reached out to me. If you didn't want to work with me, why are you reaching out to me? Didn't I prove myself to get your attention? Hmm. I mean, to me, that's fundamentally saying that the only way that I can get paid is if I work for free to show you that I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Did you do that when you, when you got hired at your job? Did they say, hey, we're going to just delay your pay a bit. Um, we just want to see if you know what you're doing first. Give us maybe a month. Will you work for free for that time? Nobody would go to work ever. Like, mm -hmm. what do you mean? That's not how mm -hmm. we do it. That's not what it is. You don't have to prove yourself. If you're concerned about the quality of the work, then that means you have to be a better recruiter. Mm -hmm. yeah. That means you have to take time and say, hey, can you give me maybe some samples of the kind of work that you would present? That's the same thing that we do as a writer. Can you show me samples of your work? Yep, here you go. Here's 15 articles I've written. Mm -hmm. 
Can you show me samples of your photography? Yes, here's some photography right over here. That's how you figure out who you want to work with. Can you show me an example of maybe um, a post that used a product and how that performed? That's fine. Because the thing is, all of us have products at home that we can use to create content. And so if you were really interested in seeing how something performed and you, you're not ready to bring on a, an influencer, say, do me a favor, create some content around any brand that's in your cupboard right now. Post it up. I want to see how it, how, how it performs. Mm-hmm. Because then there are no strings attached to them earning money for what you're doing. We have to just get creative around mm-hmm. how we recruit and stop saying that people have to earn their place to make money. If you reach out to me and you've seen my work, then I deserve to be paid for the work that I contribute. How do you feel about brands who, let's say, want to separate completely the like, let's work together and collaborate versus, uh, hey, I really like what you're doing. I'm just going to send you a gift, no strings attached. Yeah, so I love that. I think the, my position is that there is room to continue gifted campaigns in a, with certain parameters. Mm-hmm. So I was going to give some free advice, but I'm not. I'm going to re- encourage that people actually go to my Patreon so that they can yeah. unpack some of these ideas. What I will say is that there is room for gifted programs. I'll give an example mm-hmm. of one that, of about 15 that I've done in the past month and a half. I had a program where under Food Love, we invited volunteers to help us on MLK Day, a day of service. I reached out to brands prior to bringing those um, individuals on to work for the day and said, I would really love to work with you. We've got about 30 volunteers that are helping us to meet our goals. They're gonna be volunteering for you know two to eight hours for the day. Would you be open to sending them a gifted product as a thank you? That's it. So what I ask all of my volunteers to do is when you get your product, just tag me. They don't have to tag the brand. So this is not like a, you don't have to do any of that, just tag me. And so that's what they've done. So they get their product and it's not a requirement. They didn't have to. I said, if you want to, I would love it if you would so that I can also say thank you to the brand. Mm-hmm. Some people have tagged me. So then what I do is I repost it on my feed because most of the people that I'm working with don't have as many followers as I do. So I post it on my feed and then say, hey, thank you to XYZ brand. And so now that brand has gotten free content from me as a so-called influencer because they have committed to supporting the volunteers. So I'm doing a thing, they're helping me with the thing that I'm doing, and then they get promotion as a result of it. That's how you can easily do a gifted campaign. Everybody wins. My volunteers are happy. The brand gets some content. I'm happy because my volunteers are happy. Right. So it sounds like those are really important um, discussions and options for brands who are listening as well. And that it sounds like things are slowly moving in the right direction as these discussions are happening. So I think that's really important that you are taking that on and talking Mm -hmm. about it and putting it out there on your social media as well. Um, I would love to share the link to, so you mentioned you had a Patreon that will have more information and details about what you've been talking about today. Yeah, so the Patreon is really cool. I'm kind of a, a, a newbie to Patreon, but I'm using that platform to allow people to support this brand accountability work. 
because it's been going on now since um, June, July, October, September-ish, all that part of the year that it just is a blur to me right now. (laughs) So it's been happening since, I guess, summer of last year, I can say that. And it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time to, one, investigate the brands if there needs to be an investigation. Um, It takes time to then reply to them, have them reply Mm -hmm. to me, that back and forth, scheduling meetings, having conversations, helping them build plans. And in many cases, because they don't see this as valuable, they don't always want to come up front and pay you for it. It's like, oh, you're going to help me to pay more people? Like, this is not something I asked for. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I'm kind of that accountability partner that you didn't ask for, but you actually need. So the way that I am help, the way that I am funding it is by inviting those brands to a community so that they can learn from each other. They can talk about these things and they can continue the work of anti-racism. And so we go through modules. The goal very soon is once we hit a certain level of Patreon members, a certain number rather of Patreon members, we'll be able to bring in actual speakers so that they can use this content to help them grow as a business in all things anti-racism and anti-exploitation and Mm anti-oppression because that's really what it's dedicated to. So you have, I've had a ton of influencers who have just, you know, let me drop something in your tip jar because they found even just a modicum of of encouragement to go back to a brand and say, no, I need to be paid Mm -hmm. for this Um, because it's so common practice to not be paid that they were like, you know what, I'm going to, tip jar Kimberly for, you know, helping me just to get to that place. So there's, there's room for uh, influencers, creators, uh, for people who just want to say, thank you for helping to make change. And then there's, there's levels for brands that actually want to do something and modules that they can walk through to actually get things done and change systems. Because again, that's what we've been asking for. We kind of, you know, taking this conversation now full circle, we're asking for change. Mm -hmm. But in many cases, they don't know what needs to be changed or even how to begin making that happen. That sounds like an amazing resource that you're providing. And I'm not familiar with Patreon at all, but it sounds like it's something that's like a positive in this world of like social media and influencer marketing. Yeah, so, well, Patreon is is a pay-to-play community. Mm-hmm. Unlike, say, with other social media platforms, you, you just click the follow button and now you're a part of the community. Mm-hmm. This requires that you pay to participate mm-hmm. in the community. So you have unique content, you have unique experiences, whether it's, you know, audio or it's uh, video or custom videos, custom stories. Like, there's so much happening, like, behind the scenes the Patreon community has like gone, I've taken them through everything. Like they get the deets before everybody else does. <laughs> so um, that's really what it is. I think a lot of people are m- much more familiar with this model under like OnlyFans, but they know OnlyFans mm. for like adult content. Yeah. Patreon is generally for any kind of content. Yeah. Super important. So we'll be sharing your Patreon link in the show notes along with your other links, all your social media and projects that you have going on. Um, is there any last words or messages that you wanted to share with the vegan boss listeners? You've already shared so much like important information. (laughs) So thank you so much for that. Um, no, not really. I want to thank you both for, for having me and giving me the space to kind of share unfiltered what's been going on. Um, I'm excited to hear from 
your listeners and just people in general, how these kinds of stories impact them. Mm-hmm. Um, I had someone reach out to me the other day and they said, thank you so much for your stories. I, because of that, I had enough um, enthusiasm to go ask for a raise. You know what I mean? So Amazing. like little stuff like that is like kind of yeah. cool to just help people to remember that. I mean, I know that that money doesn't answer all things, but it does help. And I think money is a way that we can mm-hmm. um, address some of the imbalances that we have um, in our communities, you know, giving people the resources that they've earned. Um, so, so yeah, so, you know, talk to me, let me know how, how's it going and how it's helping you. And uh, I'm also open to more brands that you think I should investigate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much again for sharing all of that. It's been such a pleasure talking with you and we're yeah. excited to keep an eye out for all the things that you have coming up this year. Awesome. Thank you so much. This episode was sponsored by Plant Life Nutrition, a fully vegan online nutrition store. You can shop at plantlifenutrition.ca. Use our code VEGANBOSS to get 10% off all your orders. They do shipping within Canada and free delivery within Vancouver on orders over $75. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Vegan Boss Radio. You can find us on Instagram at vegan underscore boss. And if you're interested in becoming a sponsor or a guest on the show, you can send us an email at veganbossradio at gmail.com.